How can analytics optimize growth in an economic downturn? We're about to find out from one of the leading subject matter experts on a 15-minute guide to predictive analytics. You're going to want to stay with us, so don't press pause. Welcome, everyone, to a 15-minute guide to predictive analytics, your podcast dedicated to going beyond the hype of AI and digital transformation to explore the methods and tools that translate data into tangible solutions for the operational engineer. But before we get started, I want to mention this episode is brought to you by Aviva Performance Intelligence. Aviva and OSIsoft have come together to help companies from every industry engineer smarter, operate better, and elevate their business with a world-class suite of operational software. Discover what performance intelligence can offer you and visit www.aviva.com forward slash performance intelligence. That is aviva.com forward slash performance hyphen intelligence. So when the global economy faces a downward trend, shockwaves pummel across many industrial sectors. Business leaders must be ready to make clear strategic decisions that prepare operations for future uncertainties. Though this concept may seem counterintuitive, the right choice may be to invest in future-proof infrastructure that is flexible, focused, and highly leverages asset performance and operational data. With us today is Dr. J. Patrick Kennedy, founder of the Pi System. He is going to discuss how digital transformation is continuously creating an environment of rapid business change and how organizations can take advantage of these solutions, especially during economic uncertainty. Dr. Kennedy, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tom. Dr. Kennedy, first, I'd like to start off with a recent article published in Forbes. They surveyed Fortune 500 CEOs, and 27% of those surveyed were expecting their workforce to come back in 2021. Now, over half of those surveyed are not expecting a full return to normal, in addition to normalcy with their economic activity until late 2022. With perceptions like this, how do you envision or recommend companies of this size to act in order to preserve and maintain their strength during a time like this? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, we have a complete plan in a committee, and we have the fortunate circumstance that much of what we do is supported by remote operation. For other, for other people that are not in such a, such a case, uh, I guess our, our best thing to do is to be very, very attentive to our customers. They're going through many of the same issues that we are, and all of our customers have customers and employees, and they'll have the same challenges. In your 40-plus year career, you've seen situations like this before, especially in recent decades, such as the crisis in 2008, uh, the early 2000s with the dot-com crash. In order for businesses to scale during these times, how should businesses and leaders invest? So what, what you have in the, in the industrial market, there's really four cycles. There's the design cycle, the build cycle, the operate cycle, and the maintain cycle. What happens when you get into a, a crunch, an economic crunch, whether caused by speculation or whether caused by other items, is that immediately, uh, customers tend to cut down on the capital budget because that's the one that's very long-term and they're not really interested 
in four years out, they're interested in what happens throughout the rest of this year. And that puts us into what I call a, a basically OPEX or operating capital environment. So for companies providing services to these, these kinds of facilities is that we have to operate in more in the operations uh, budget than in the capital budget, just because of the timing. Is there any criteria that businesses need to consider when they're embarking into this territory? If so, what would that be? Well, I think the, the, the criteria, the best criteria, and this is just for business period, not necessarily for during a crisis, and these were provided by Doug Leone of Sequoia Capital uh, years ago. He said there's really only four things. One, you have to have a killer idea. The second thing is that you have to have rich customers. Third thing is you have to have uh, basically a barrier to competition. And then you have to have a business plan that takes care of one, two, and three. So really just to continually reevaluate what you're doing, are you supplying things that are unique? Are you, do you have uh, a, a clear advantage? And is, your, is there money there to do what you want to do? And that's, uh, that's, I think, really good advice for good times as well as bad times. All right. So, so in other words, look at your investment options and act on those accordingly. Well, the famous story about why you rob banks is because where the money is. Well, why you supply why you supply to a to a to an opex budget is that in these kinds of times that's where the dominant source of funds are. And I give an example there. If you have a oil platform, it's very expensive to drill. But once you have it drilled, once you have the wells coming out of a platform, they're still got a pump, and they still have to maximize that. So the budgets there are to keep everything running, to make it produce faster, could be modeling, could be information systems, could be you know, changing out some of the equipment, but that would all be on an operating budget. When it comes to the operating budget, is it upgrading or expanding the existing equipment, or is it trying to improve the brain of the existing assets? It's more on looking at the time horizon. You might have to upgrade the equipment if it means for rapid gain. But if it's investing four years from now because you see a new kind of product or a new kind of raw material coming in, then that would be uh, more of the capital type of investment. What are some of the ways that businesses could squeeze more efficiency out of uh, existing assets and operations? Well, one of the one of the things that I I, lo I love case stories and and old stuff because I'm old. But one of the great stories I had is I watched uh, a user presentation by uh, a gentleman from BP on a platform called Troika. And basically, what what had happened is that if you're on a platform, it's a very intense environment. People there are working 12-hour shifts. They got a half hour to switch over and they do that for 30 days. It's not an environment where you think about, what am I going to do tomorrow? How, how does this look? It's basically, how am I gonna to survive till tomorrow? So what they had done is that they had improved their communication system, so they moved the engineering function of looking at the wells on shore. 
And so what they did is the environment now is totally different. The people on shore would come in at eight that have their coffee. They go start looking at these things. And what they notice is that Troika is, is adjacent to another platform called Bullwinkle. And the oil gas separators on Bullwinkle, and they noticed that there was too much water coming out. So they would sit down, they would run their models, and most of the wells were operating with five spots, which are water injection wells and then pumping of the oil. And they'd run the models, they looked for breakthrough, they looked for too much water, and they'd send out some new adjustments to the people that were working these 12-hour shifts. And the next morning, those adjustments would be made and, and they'd see if it improved. So I listened to this and I listened to what they were doing, but what caught my attention is a, a, a question from the audience came in and said, yes, and, and how much is this worth? And the, the gentleman giving the presentation just simply said it was worth about 10% production. We're talking about a 100,000 barrel a day platform. So 10% of that is a lot of money any way you look at it. So these operating, um, not, they're not really tweaks always. These op paying attention to the operation can be worth a lot of money and be worth a lot of money fast. And the level of effort is much less than, for example, starting up a whole new platform. When we're looking at data today, could you describe in detail how data relates to a business operations core? So in the core, uh, generally that's where you'll find a lot of the information, but one of the other aspects is that you won't be able to utilize that information or it'll be hidden or not measured. And I'll, I'll give a good example of that. One of, the, one of the core responsibilities of a power grid is to maintain the balance between the production and the, and the uh, uses, the loads of that power. And you, to do that, you have to operate this grid in what's called an N plus one, N plus two condition. N plus one meaning that uh, if you lose your most critical resource, you're still stable. N plus two means if you lose two of them, you're still stable. The only way you can actually do that, though, is a what-if analysis on a model because you don't really go break tie lines and you don't shut down power plants. And so they use their models all the time to establish their N plus one, N plus two condition. And they're required basically by law to report if they get to N plus one. This is just one example where these models are in heavy use. The good news is that once you are using the model for things such as that, then you get all sorts of other data like tie line congestion is not something that's measured. So part of the data that we're using today is not really measured, it's being imputed by models. So in a way, the production optimization, the digital twin, the AI, they really all work together on the same database, which brings up an important thing about data. It's the only resource you have that becomes more valuable the more people consume it. What are some of the things that organizations need to understand in order to gain greater strategic leverage with their operational data? Well, they need to understand that, that they're looking at uh, information that is being measured in real time, which means it's not necessarily uh, super vetted 
reconciled, et cetera, data. It's data as it streams from the field. So that means we have different methods that we use when we're using streaming data. However, we also need to mix it with the other kind of data. For example, you might be looking at load and vibration data from a physical piece of equipment, but you might need to compare it to the operating standards as set up by the design people, and you might want to compare that to the standards set up by the manufacturer itself. So all of these data come together and they form a, a part, but it's always good to have things recorded. And I give an example of maybe when you violate that that will cause a problem. If you look at uh, data, uh, for example, that has been prepared for a production report or prepared for analytics, you might have said, well, this data should be averaged and should be vetted and averaged and sent over in a data block. Well, that data may not be at all appropriate for maintenance where you're looking at cause and effect. So re the realistic uh, view on data is that you want to keep it in its original fidelity at some point and then treat the processing as an application. When you see asset optimization based on performance data, is that something which could impact a variety of industries or is it just a niche set? You find the same uh, potential is in nearly all industries. And and I think one of the classic examples that people use is to imagine this are these big rollers that sit on a paper machine. They have giant bearings on the ends. And if one of those bearings fails, if a, if a race fails or a ball fails or something like that, it can cause a lot of damage, including uh, physical damage to the roll or the machine, which then might take uh, a long time to fix. Now, imagine that if you can see that coming and they're looking for incipient failure, that's what they're doing with all these vibration systems, and you see it's coming, then it's simple then to schedule when it's down, you schedule, pop out the bearing, put in a new one, and that's the end of the story. So being able to take the data and change the way you uh, use the strategy for your repair is worth a lot of money. Dr. Kennedy, these days, specifically with digital controls and now with IoT, there's a tendency to grow the data, but people have limited capacity of attention. How do you recommend folks deal with this? Don't send it to people. There's a <laughs> lot of things that use data that aren't people. And certainly, uh, I had a friend once that said that the total input capability of a person is about seven hertz or seven, seven pieces of data a second. And we can flood data into an operator and completely lose them. But you can't do that with a program. I mean, if, if there's, there's the programmatic uh, management of that information, whether it be AI, machine learning, sometimes putting it in bar charts, sometimes trending it, sometimes averaging it, you actually uh, can solve that problem by just making sure that the things that you're sending the data to have the capability of taking the throughput. Thank you, Dr. Kennedy. We appreciate your insights and thoughts today. Thank you, Tom. Okay, folks, our 15 minutes is now up. Be sure to subscribe and join us for our next episode. And if you would like to learn more, 
please be sure to check out our sponsored website, www.aviva.com forward slash performance intelligence. That's aviva.com forward slash performance hyphen intelligence. See you next time.